Welcome back to the Dissolve Podcast, episode 33, Does Ghost Blood Stain Edition. I'm your host, Tasha Robinson, senior editor at the Dissolve. This week, Alex Garland's Ex Machina tries to give us a potentially positive view of artificial intelligence, but reverts to the kind of horror movie that gets us thinking about the history of technophobia thrillers and how the latest technology, no matter what it is, is certainly out to kill us. Then, our considerations earlier this week on Vin Diesel and Kristen Stewart have us talking about other actors whose careers zigzagged in ways that made us appreciate them more. This week's game is a first for us, a fresh-from-the-box, commercially-available card game where playtesting for the first time, and as always, we'll close with our competitive recommendation segment, 30 Seconds to Sell. Stay tuned. When I interviewed writer-director Alex Garland about his new film Ex Machina, he said it isn't meant to be alarmist about artificial intelligence, even though his story about a manipulative female robot does go in a horror movie direction. Also in theaters right now, we currently have Unfriended, originally called Cybernatural, which has a bunch of friends seemingly stalked through their online chat room by the defunct account of a dead friend. It seems like for every new technology, or even any new hint of a future technology, there's been at least one movie about how it's going to wreck our lives, from destroying our trusted societal institutions to killing individuals, to straight up wiping out the human race. Assuming that the microphone I'm speaking into doesn't electrocute me, and uploading this podcast doesn't create a virus that launches the nukes and sets off World War III, I'm here to try to talk about all this future danger in cinema with... Scott Tobias. And... Keith Phipps. Guys, why is this such a perennial topic? Why are we so convinced that machines are going to kill us? Uh, because every new technology is, is, is sort of at least some way tied in new ways to kill us, either by on purpose <laughs> or by accident, you know, it's, really? it's not one of the great advances of the middle of the 20th century is, is sort of nuclear technology, which was, was, which begun, if, if it didn't begin as a bomb, certainly found one of its fullest, earliest, fullest expressions as a bomb. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there, there's, there's always a matter of, of, uh, military technology driving technology in, in general and, and, uh. Uh, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, and you know, s- stuff goes wrong. You know, if if it's if there's rarely, if if we've yet to hit a case where a new advance in technology completely backfires and wipes out the human race, uh, there's always that possibility, isn't there? Well, I, I mean, I think that the other thing too is that is that technology these are these are machines that we can't control. Uh, these they're automated. You know, they're automated. I mean, if we if you're if you're you know, putting a, if you have a well, you know, it's not a pulley system, you, you, you know, you, you put the, put the bucket in the, in the well and you turn the crank and when you're done with the crank, the, the, uh, turning the crank, then it stops, the machine stops. But, uh, but if you have a, whatever, like a water filter, like, auto, like an automated, you know, water filtration system, then the whole thing can go, uh, you, you poison a city or something why, like that. Why so. do you get the feeling you're going to get, like smash factory equipment with a wrench after this, uh, <laughs> after this podcast is over? You do use a computer to, to, to work, right? Uh, no, I know, well. but, but I think that's where, I think that's the root of it is just that, is that, is the idea that, um, something that we create will lose control of. Well, sure. There's also more generally this, that with every advance of technology, you give something up. Like I love uh, being able to instant message people, but do I really love that people can just be in my, you know, have my attention immediately uh, at a moment's notice, no matter what I'm doing? Not always, you know, I mean, cell phones as, as well. I mean, it's great if you're, you're stranded in traffic. It's, it's not so great if you want to, you know, drop off the face of the earth for a little bit. Well, sure. I mean, I, I certainly understand that, uh, that concern about loss of control. And I think with technology, especially more advanced technology, there's a fear that, like, we could probably all understand the automated uh, water filtration system pulling water out of the well automatically instead of us doing with 
doing with buckets, but I couldn't take this computer in front of me apart and tell you how it works. So, I mean, today this computer was very clearly trying to kill me by <laughs> giving me an aneurysm by just not working for two hours during which I needed to get work done. So, and there's not a whole lot, you know, apart from running diagnostics, I don't have the knowledge of what it takes to take this computer apart and find the glitch in it. So it's something that's out of my control that's causing me stress and problems. Um, and I can understand that anxiety, but here's my thing. So many of these technological phobia movies don't seem to be about uh, processing these anxieties so much as exploiting them. I mean, uh, so many of them seem overblown and paranoid and not really dealing with actual like intimate human fears in the way so many horror movies do as just kind of, ah, they're all going to blow up and stab us in the face. But isn't that the isn't that the job of a movie anyway to, to exploit these fears? I mean, it, you know, if you're actually dealing with a piece of technology and reflecting on it, that's that's what you do in like an essay. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like if you're gonna, get, you're gonna make a movie about about uh, uh, you know the virtual reality, uh, then I think you kind of want to play it. It's, you know, then you're gonna kind of figure out like what is uh, what's the worst case scenario and then make a movie out of that well, you surprised me scott i mean you like like thoughtful movies that, that don't necessarily <laughs> move super fast with a lot of the stabbing and the robots and the hey hey yeah i mean what interests me about ex machina and uh unfriended being in the theater right now to, at the same time is that one of them is a very thoughtful deliberate intellectual processing kind of movie about what artificial intelligence might mean and one of them i haven't seen the other one but from the trailers it really kind of kind of seems to be ah chat rooms death <laughs> we don't really know how these two fit together but we don't care mm -hmm. chat room death so I, I mean we'll put it this way are there movies are there technophobia movies that really work for you either in an intellectually rigorous vein or just in a it, like the stab is pretty pretty scary kind of vein well i mean i think her is an example of a of a uh, I, I, I guess a te technophobic movie that, that I think is really thoughtful and smart. And I think I think one of the interesting things about I mean because her I mean is not is in that tradition really with 2001 in the sense that again you it's you've this it's this creation uh, this human like creation that that has got that you lose control out out of that is evolve that evolves past you uh, that does things that you don't want it to, that ultimately you don't want it to do. Um, but I think the the difference with her, what makes it work to me is that it, it feels um, so much in touch with um, just the way we live today. That, that I think that is kind of the point of her. That's that's what keeps it grounded, and it's it's not a film that is really into kind of stoking fear exactly, but kind of describing a condition, which I think is a more thoughtful way of, go, of going about doing things. I, I think her is almost a post technophobic movie in a way. It sort of takes as a given that technology and and uh, it's going to be a part of our lives, an intimate part of our lives for the foreseeable future and kind of uh, extrapolates from, from that. I think it's also kind of an exception where I think it's often the job or often what science fiction and speculative fiction does is, is take things to their sort of horrific extreme and then, and then, uh, and, and see what happens. You know, I mean, the word robot comes from a, a, a Czech play in the 1920s about, uh, the first robots who like, you know, rise up and kill their masters. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's always, it's always that. I mean, um, I mean, I think the, Modern stuff almost always has its roots in 2001, though, doesn't it? I mean, I can't really think of a, a one uh, that doesn't, you know, a technophobic movie that doesn't owe some sort of debt to this idea that artificial intelligence um, uh, will out outstrip us in some way. Am I wrong? I my my instinct is that you're wrong. I mean, I think of something like war. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But, 
<laughs> my my human instinct is that you're wrong, but I haven't run it through the calculator to find I, out yet. I should also say in in film because I know that oh, sure. there's yeah sure. Well, I mean that's that's it's a film site. That's what we're talking about. Right. Well, I mean when I look at something like War Games, for instance, I don't see a fear that artificial intelligence is too smart and will outstrip us. I see a fear that artificial intelligence is stupid and has too much power. So the problem is that it doesn't have the judgment that people have, but it has the power, which may just be another form of outstripping us. But I mean, if you look at something like the net, there's nothing in there specifically about artificial intelligence or being outstripped. There's just an idea that technology might give the wrong people too much power, that it might be a tool that people can use in the wrong way and people without the knowledge to stop it, without the knowledge equal to whatever the villains have uh, are helpless, you know, in the grip of technology they can't control. Thankfully, we haven't seen that played out in real life where technology <laughs> gives people too much power. <laughs> well, yeah, well, although I still have problems seeing uh, the net as like an actual processing of uh, of that. Maybe maybe it was a warning film. Yeah, well, the, it was a warning we did not heed. Uh, the net is, a, I think, an interesting example of um, how of of a technophobic movie that is technophobic about how um, the culture is going to change as a result of. Uh, of, of the internet how how it's gonna you know i mean just that that factor just uh the fact that we have this 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 character the Sandra bullock character who's ordering pizza online and it seems like a very you know it seems like a very alien thing to do it's a strange thing to do and i think there's kind of that worry that uh you know what that as technology itself becomes you know a, a bigger uh part of the, the the culture that our behavior is going to change and become kind of uh wrong Hmm. I guess, um, and that, that's that. That I think underpins a lot of uh, technophobic films. Oh, sure, because there's the feeling that wrong equals different from the way we did it in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a, a fundamental gut fear of change. And I think a lot of these films, less than I, I, I think that the the fear of being outstripped is part of it, but it's just a subset of the fear of things changing in any way from from where we are right now. Well, let's, I mean, let's continue with the question. We, we kind of uh, got sidetracked a little with her. Are there other technophobic movies that, that really work for you, Keith? I mean, works as entertainment versus work as like actually putting the fear of, of this actually happening uh, into me. I mean, I, I've things I've revisited recently about like Colossus, the Forbin Project, which is imagined, uh, uh, you know, two artificial intelligence sort of like taking over the world uh, in a way that's plausible within the reality of the film, if not necessarily a plausible actual technology. But uh, I was just, you know, we just did our, our survey of the favorite. Um, uh, humanoid uh, uh, robots. I, I very much enjoyed the film Westworld. If, mm-hmm. if indeed, um, I, I'm not sure it has the firmest grasp on how technology actually works. But, uh, but I think there's still something, even something like that as far fetched as, as Westworld. There's still something kind of chilling about seeing something made by humanity um, turn on turn on humanity. It, it just even if it doesn't necessarily work as science as metaphor, it, it works pretty beautifully. Um, uh, speaking of stuff that d- doesn't work as science, I do sort of feel like if you if you either don't understand the science, so it, you're not c- constantly being hiccuped out of the movie by wait that doesn't work, uh, 
or if the science in the film is relatively rigorous. Like I'm thinking of the beginning of Sunshine, where like I didn't necessarily know uh, enough about astrophysics to understand whether they were uh, navigating correctly. But that film felt rigorous in a way that it, it like they weren't obviously making stupid stuff up in a Star Trek. Uh, and then tech, 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 I don't know, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow kind of way. The more a film stays within the bounds of science as I understand it, the more it's likely to work for me as a technophobic movie. And I'm curious whether that's true for you guys or, or if you prefer something like Transcendence that can maybe go further out on a limb and do something more creative with the idea. You mistake for me for someone who actually understands how science works. <laughs> I thought you were going to say for someone who's seen Transcendence. <laughs> There's that too. I still need to catch up with what I understand as a great movie. Yeah, I'm not, no, I can't. It, I don't think m- movies being like Transcendence is really <laughs> that's a really good argument for me. I, I actually did see that one, um, but uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you know the science of a film. I, I mean, I, I think a lot of times is a lot of uh, you know it's a lot of just sort of nonsense. I think the f- films have you know uh, operate by a certain logic that they establish, and if that if that logic follows, then I think you can go go out pretty far on a limb. I mean, you can. You know, I don't think the science of Eternalist sunshine of the spotless mind is really all that great, but that but but the way it's accounted for in the logic of the film makes is what you know makes it great. Yeah, you know, one interesting thing I want I want to make an argument on behalf in terms of technophobic films that I like. I want to be make an argument on behalf of what I wanted, what I wished the the, the new RoboCop <laughs> could have been. Uh, did anyone else see that? I, yeah, I saw it with you. Yep. Oh, we all saw it. Okay, great. Well. Um, because I think it really started out with a with a brilliant concept, which is like which is which is it's which is using uh, technological advances, or technophobia, to sort of account for something that's happening now. And, and the idea with that film was like, okay, we we've built all these Ed two hundred nines and other machines, mm-hmm. and 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 they are replacing soldiers, and they are monitoring, and, and, and they are they are our security force. And in, in in foreign hostile foreign lands, you know, and, and I think you can read a lot into into modern warfare and a drone warfare. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the starting point of the movie. And it's a great starting point that the film does not follow through on it at all, unfortunately. But yeah, the um, first five minutes are belong to a much better movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I mean, that there's there's I, I, there's obviously a great story about the making of that movie or the unmaking of that movie, but uh, there, there's the, there's a nugget of a really spectacular film in there and that's that's it yeah i mean i think something that that taps into actual real fears that real people have which may be a little more a little more cromulent than uh chat rooms are going to stab us in the face with ghosts (laughs) somehow yeah Uh, i I, like i think that that does tend to ground a movie and I, i hear what you're saying about as long as a movie is internally consistent in its science or its science fiction or its science fantasy or whatever that works better it just it seems to me that actually dealing with with real technology the technology that people use every day like in her i mean obviously we don't have the ais that we fall in love with but the idea of uh a, like a talk system uh that interacts with us or a video game that we sit and play in our homes instead of going out i think those are things that people can relate to a little better than malevolent ai ate a genius's brain and is going to take over the world with it. Or uh, evil corporation has stuck a dude's brain into a, a computer suit and may use him to, to shoot bad guys. Like, I just, for me, technophobia movies don't work unless there's something I could potentially be persuaded to be phobic about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in terms of actual fear versus versus sort of like, you know, fear within the context of the film, I guess, you know? <laughs> um, I, but it's rare that I leave a movie 
saying, oh, oh man, that, that could happen, you hmm. know, maybe war games when I was 10 or whatever, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's been a while. Well, I, th- I think it can be kind of, even the, the bad ones can be kind of exciting and uh, to look back on and, and sure. just because you can say, what were people scared of? <laughs> because I think those, those fears are come through, um, uh, in, in movies in a pretty raw way. I mean, that's, I think that's where in, 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 I, and I've argued this many times before, I think that's where, you know, society's fears, deepest fears are, are, are channeled through genre films first, uh, m- before they kind of surface in docudramas and things like that. And so that, so you see all of that happening and it is a wonderful, you know, history to be, to be written about, about the internet, especially in the way that's the way perceptions of, of what is possible have, have you know, almost always overstated, the, uh, um, I have sort of played out over time. Oh, sure. I think you're right. I mean, if, I think if you look back at War Games and before that at Dr. Strangelove and before that at, at Metropolis, you see this just sort of progression of, of different paranoias and different fears showing up in movies. And I... I do sort of hope that 20 years from now we'll be over the current slate of, of terror about the internet and the technology we use every day. Maybe we can move on to being worried about the uh, implants that we all have in the backs of our brains or the VR systems that we live in. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like we've already pre-mined those as well. So I don't know what we're going to be paranoid about in 20 years. There'll be something. I think the less and actually I- having just rewatched Dr. Strangelove is like, that's, Still a fairly plausible uh, <laughs> yeah. scenario that might actually happen. Yeah, so. or fail safe too. Right. Right? Yeah, no. I, I think the lesson too is just you know try try a more secure password than Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> password, WordPass, and WordPass one are all taken, guys. Don't don't use those. All right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, for talking me through my fears, and uh, I'm gonna go change my password now. Yep. Thank you. Earlier in the week, we had writers considering the careers of Vin Diesel and Kristen Stewart, two actors who started in very particular places, then carved out more unpredictable and more interesting careers for themselves than their starting points suggested. That isn't entirely surprising. This is a business where most people have to pay their dues and work their way up. But it is still memorable when an actor goes in a radically new direction, because it's so easy for them to get typecast into one kind of role and trade on the same successes over and over. So we thought we'd take some time to consider actors whose careers took significant turns. Here to talk with me about it are three pop culture writers who, strangely, started out as a sanitation worker, a hand model, and an ultralight designer, respectively. Uh, Nathan Rabin, sanitation worker. <laughs> Genevieve Kosky. Oh, uh, uh, Scott. Tobias, hand model? No. I'm a hand model. <laughs> well, you were, you were both hand models. You're, and you were at the top of your tray. And I don't know why you traded it. Very pretty hand models, oh. guys. So, uh, when you guys high five, it is a thing of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had to get out of the business. Let's, yeah. let's be honest about that. So, uh, let's, so let's talk about it. Uh, actors whose, uh, whose careers you started appreciating more after they took a, took a turn. Like, who comes to mind for that? Uh, one actor who I've come around on in a big way, um, and I suspect a lot of other people have too, is uh, Channing Tatum. The big brisket. The big brisket. <laughs> uh, we we all love him, right? Everyone loves Channing Tatum. He really he really stepped up. <laughs> yeah, exa- to the plate. Exactly. I don't know what it, you mean there. But but it wasn't that long ago when he was in you know the first Step Up and <laughs> she's the man and he kind of had this you know aura of uh, like a CW has been to be like he, he seemed like kind of the next Chad Michael Murray or something you mm-hmm. know. But then uh, he was kind of... You say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Have you seen a little film called Left Behind? Uh, No, Nathan, you were the only one who has seen that film. 
Um, but he, but yeah, Channing Tatum was kind of saved by the dual forces of Steven Soderbergh and comedy. You know, uh, with uh, what was the first one? He was Soderbergh was Haywire. Uh, was it Side Effects? No, I think no Side Effects was his yeah. last film, uh, Haywire. Haywire, Side Effects, and Magic Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, he kind of became a, one of Soderbergh's go-to guys, and then he also kind of uh, embraced the comedic side of, of his personality, which I, 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 don't th- I think he realizes that he's not maybe naturally a, f- a naturally funny person, but he works really well with funny people. And, you know, the 21 Jump Street movies are a good example of that. Uh, his cameo in This is the End, which was really funny and, and you know, definitely exhibited some self-awareness uh, and willingness to poke fun at himself. And I think, you know, that uh, those are things that audiences really respond to, even if they're not necessarily what's on screen. But it's, you know, it's kind of a combination of public persona and the choices he makes. I think people also respond to just trying different things and doing it well, because there was some surprise when he did 21 Jump Street. There was kind of a feeling of, oh, he's doing comedy. Oh, hey, that worked out really well. Then when he was in Foxcatcher, there was some kind of some surprise of, oh, he's doing a serious dramatic role. Hey, he did that really well. Yeah. And I feel like there was already just kind of a, a good feeling about him. Even with the Step Up movies, there was this sort of like, he's genial and fun. But now it's become a more admiring Yeah, kind Yeah, of there's, way of there's definitely more respect there than there was uh, back in the early aughts. Well, I mean, one of the things about Tatum that, that I, I mean, I think I, I probably said something fairly insulting about him when I reviewed Step Step Up is that he was very wooden. You know, he's a big he's a big guy and he's so, very physical. I think lunk is the word you're looking for. Lunk. He's a big lunk, and I think, but that that decision to kind of like to be self deprecated, to be able to make fun of himself. I mean, it's a very rock like the rock like quality mm-hmm. of just of if you can manage that, then it you know and Schwarzenegger did that as well. You just kind of can undercut. Um, that brawn a little bit and and be you know one you know a normal human being who can uh, who is flawed and can can be sort of silly um, you know it humanizes you a lot as an actor and I feel like Schwarzenegger doesn't really have the range like there is there is a thing with big guys I think we did a list on this back at the AV Club where they like tough guys always end up having to do a movie where they're taking care of a child or an adorable dog <laughs> and uh, The Rock and uh, Schwarzenegger both did that. So did Vin Diesel. So did Vin Diesel. So did many, many, many others. But there was, with The Rock, I think more, he, like, he's a a surprisingly playful person, and he's done comedy. And when he does something like Tooth Fairy, which is a very, like, comedic, taking himself down kind of role, there's much more of a sense of flexibility and fun to it than Schwarzenegger in something like uh, Junior or uh, Twins. I just, I never felt that he had really the comedic chops to, mm. to have that kind of flexibility. I, w- I would actually add to this uh, somebody who I've come to appreciate more this last week because I've been doing a pair of Forgot Busters on him, uh, be Mr. Burt Reynolds, who's mm. also kind of this mm. very stirring uh, physical force, uh, but also has this kind of winking, you know, not taking himself too seriously in on the joke uh, gag, which I think helps um, sort of macho, rugged uh, actors be in comedies, uh, you know, without it being too incongruous. Hmm. It actually makes me think of Kurt Russell and, uh, for instance, uh, I can't believe I can't, the uh, 
Quentin Tarantino road movie. Uh, Stuntman. Death Proof. Uh, oh, Death, Death Proof. Proof. The, uh, which <laughs> he played Stuntman like in the movie it, Death it Proof. It could well have been called Stuntman. If it was made in the 70s as it was uh, emulating, it would have been called, uh, it would have been called that. Because, I mean, he always had sort of a, like a rolling comedy to his dramatic action roles. Can we even call them dramatic action roles? He was, I mean, well, he started out as a Disney kid right. and then he kind of turned into this like rugged hero who always kind of had a, an underlying semblance of uh, like vulnerability and then he goes and does death proof which that is just a straight up comic role it doesn't start that way but it's i i just i remember that as as such a surprising turn because it was just such unvarnished comedy and it made me want to see a lot more comedy with him well can we can we credit to some extent uh, directors for recognizing a particular quality and then ex- then exploiting it. I mean, you talked about Soderbergh with Channing Tatum. I mean, surely you know Kurt Russell's persona as we know it now is shaped by that his collaboration with John Carpenter too, right? Mm-hmm. And so, oh, sure. so, so, um, so, so, so I think I think that's a kind of a key element to this kind of transition or this zigzagging is is having a, a, a filmmaker be able to see. A certain quality in an actor and then draw it out yeah i would in a lot of cases i mean with tarantino and somebody like john travolta like tarantino gets a lot more credit for revitalizing people's careers by bringing them back and and putting them in new roles and trusting them to do something that either they haven't done or that they haven't been doing lately he tends to get a lot more credit for that than the actors themselves actually do Mm -hmm. another one i would add to that list is uh richard linklater uh with uh ethan hawk to a certain extent but in uh Oh, yeah, definitely. But also in the case of probably the biggest uh, recent example of this is uh, Matthew McConaughey mm-hmm. um, and the McConaissance, uh, which, you know, I you can argue where it started, but I would argue that it started with Bernie um, mm-hmm. is, is where he started, uh, you know, making really good choices and, you know, kind of a string of well-received movies after a long time of, you know, making one or two okay movies here and there, but mostly, you know, your surfer dudes and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah. And your shirtless dudes. Yeah. So, but, you know, Richard Linklater is also the one who discovered McConaughey, more or less, in, in Dazed and Confused. So, you know, maybe kind of bringing him back into the fold with Bernie uh, helped kickstart that that kind of new chapter. He does it with Jack, Jack Black, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the best the best Jack Black performances are in Linklater films because he, he, he recognizes, yeah. like, what, the, what that full spectrum of... Uh, ability is and then and, and uh, uses it to great great uh, effect. Uh, uh, Someone I would add to this would be uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, who is mm. a very well uh, regarded young actor. You know, I think he's nominated for an Academy Award for uh, what's he in Gilbert Grape. But once he became Martin Scorsese's guy and starred in every Martin Scorsese movie, uh, that pretty much was a guarantee that he would have a really substantive, uh, really impressive career and not just be kind of a pretty boy. Yeah, former or teen d- idol Leonardo. Yeah, or just, or just kind of flame out, you know, yeah. sort of once he reached a certain age and sort of he wasn't so pretty anymore. Uh, I think definitely uh, he He's was still uh, Scorsese everything. And if I was Robert De Niro, I would curse uh, DiCaprio every day because he used to be my guy. DiCaprio, from what I've read, his uh, his career almost stalled out with Gilbert Grape because he did that role so well that casting directors and directors thought that he actually had mental issues, that he, wow. he actually was that character and didn't think that he could play other characters. And that, I think, is why, more than anything, directors deserve credit when they let somebody play outside what they've already played because there's just a sense of, you know, every movie, every major movie 
is, and by that I don't mean $100 million blockbusters, I mean something that costs more than $2 million. Every movie that, that costs in the multi-million dollar range is such a risk for somebody that the idea of you know bringing in somebody, there's so much play it safe in Hollywood and there's so much impulse to just follow this worked before. Every time you see somebody who's willing to you know let Channing Tatum do a comedy or bring back uh, Travolta from the dead or whatever, I, like you have to kind of respect that. Uh, another one I'd bring up if we're going to kind of dial back in time a little bit it would be uh, Catherine Hepburn mm-hmm. um, who was you know sort of this paragon of wit in the 30s and 40s and early 50s with movies like Bringing Up Baby and The Philadelphia Story and her collaborations with Spencer Tracy uh, but she took on more serious roles in the latter half of her career um, thinking late 50s early 60s movies like Suddenly Last Summer and, and my, my favorite which is uh, Long Day's Journey into Night and w- what surprises you about Hepburn in Long Day's Journey Tonight is how easily, you know, that East Coast confidence and sophistication of hers could be broken down uh, in, in this in this role, and that sort of tremulous voice, that famous famously tremulous voice, becomes very brittle and very fragile, and she she becomes kind of this ghostly figure, this sort of almost Haversham like or something, who just sort of hovers over uh, the whole movie. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's she's an actress who at least, you know, I, I mean, I, I obviously didn't grow up watching. I wasn't, wasn't a, a child of the of the 20s or something and grew up, grew up with Catherine Hepburn. But I, I would think that if I, if I did, I'd be pretty surprised by but the places her career was able to go and, and, and the kind of range that she was able to show beyond comedy. Yeah, it, uh, it's kind of, you know, we kind of challenge ourselves to try and come up with older examples of this. And it's a little difficult because, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is based in public perception and, and buzz and things that are like current and a little harder to gauge from decades since. Um, but kind of something that's the inverse of what you were talking about, Scott, is uh, Lucille Ball, who mm-hmm. didn't really find herself until she uh, moved from you know movies to comedy and from or from movies to TV and into comedy. Like she started as kind of a model, chorus, showgirl, uh, like pretty face. She was like a B movie queen for a while, um, but she didn't really kind of lock into what made her so enduring until she. Uh, embrace comedy and embrace television but that's you know we don't talk about tv yeah. here uh, <laughs> but you know I, I, I it is notable i think that we're talking you know with the exception of those two examples scott and i just have like all the current examples we have are men and i think a lot of that speaks to the fact that you know also a lot of the men we're talking about are older and have had a chance to mature in the industry and you know find new new paths uh for their for their talent uh, that's a lot harder for women as they age into the industry mm-hmm. just because there aren't as many roles. There isn't as much variety to choose from. And I mean, there are still great roles for women and there are great older actresses, but I think it's a lot harder to chart that trajectory when it's such a, a smaller portion of the population. Well, sure. I mean, it kind of comes down to what we're seeing people objecting to over and over right now in animation and that sense that you can have a lot of different male looks, um, but the women all look exactly the same because in order to fit within the idea of what is a woman in, in an animated film, you have to have a little round face and a little pixie nose. Even if you're meant to be an ugly woman or a heavier woman or a taller woman or an older woman or a thinner woman, you still have the same face. And I feel like there's a degree to which 
which that that tends to be true over the long haul, over the long term in women's roles, is you have to fit within a fairly narrow uh, segment. So there's not a whole lot of movement that's possible there, you know, that isn't directly related to age, moving from, you know, the ingenue role to the mother role to the crone role, basically. So that is a little bit harder. Although in the, the very short term, one of the people I wanted to bring up for this list was for me, and this may be very specific to me, is uh, Anna Kendrick. I just, I really feel like I've watched her go from the, like the twilight role of kind of the, the, the pale, passionless, uh, you know, best friend who's kind of cute to these roles that are getting increasingly about warmth and increasingly about uh, like a natural appeal and, and drawing people to her. And for me, she started out her career as just, it was kind of, I literally couldn't tell her and Aubrey Plaza apart. And again, this may be very specific to me. Did you see the, did you camp. see the debate, the debate oh. movie? Oh, or I, I was thinking going back to camp, like her, you know, you know, she, she came up on Broadway and, you know, she was doing, she did the, the musical camp, which is not very good, but you know, um, a, no, a, a, a lot of people really love it. And also, like, I, I think, like, the perception you're having is maybe spinning off Twilight specifically mm-hmm. in her mm-hmm. performance and that. But that came out pretty much the exact same time as Up in the Air. So she, she right. was really interesting in that she had kind of simultaneously, like, you, you saw the two different paths she could go. And she ended up going, you know, uh, not to be controversial, but she, I think she went <laughs> out going the better of the, of the two paths, you know. And, yeah. um, and Kristen Stewart uh, is another great example of that. But you know these they're also both very young and they're also both former child actors Mm -hmm. and i think um you know you see this a lot in child actors uh you know who want to escape whatever defined them as a child actor and you know uh, another one i would add to the list is emma watson uh, Mm -hmm. and and daniel radcliffe for that matter like trying so hard to escape the specter of harry potter you know and doing it you know, they're, they're, they they haven't, I don't think they've quite made the full zigzag yet, but you can see them trying really hard to do it. Oh, for sure. Just speaking to uh, Kendrick specifically before we escape her, I do feel like those, those, those two paths, if you look at uh, Up in the Air and 50-50, is there is a certain brittleness to her and mm. I feel like she she could have gone in the direction of playing uh, just Martinets basically like young Martinet to old Martinet as she aged uh, and it, it does seem like again that warmth is something that she's consciously bringing out to make her more appealing and have a longer term career than just always sort of playing the like the snappish buttoned up uh, like young woman and I, I actually feel like the turning point there was pitch perfect where she kind of gets to play both roles mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. talking about uh, child Child actors, that was something I wanted to bring up in general, because it just seems like any child actor has to follow that path, because you start out as a child actor, kind of pushed into roles by your elders, and then you have to decide who the hell you are once you grow up, and when you you have a career path of your own, what that's going to look like. Yeah. Uh, somebody that I would add to the list, and I don't know that I have added anybody uh, so far who uh, was a child actress, would be uh, Mr. Drew Barrymore, yeah, I was gonna say who I think was uh, kind of pigeonholed as being kind of this very uh, ebullient, effusive, very peppery, uh, bright presence, uh, very much like kind of a lightweight, and a lot of romantic comedies, and I think really, really uh, has, has delivered a couple of very impressive roles. Donnie Darko would be one. 
Um, I really liked her in uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of blown away by her in Grey Gardens, which Mm -hmm. is a very, very Mm -hmm. difficult role. And you're also kind of dealing with somebody who their tragedy is that, you know, they were such a gorgeous youth and that they could not maintain that kind of radiant youth for uh, their adulthood and definitely as they became an old person. So, yeah, I definitely, uh, Drew Barrymore is somebody who I wasn't terribly blown away by originally, but uh, who has come to uh, impress me very, very much. She's also just had a really interesting career in terms of trying to transition into uh, into producing, into writing, into being more behind the scenes, um, which is uh, an option for some women who can't get roles because there aren't enough of them. Right. All right, well, we've gone quite long on this, like some actors' careers. So uh, just really quickly, who else is on your list that we haven't mentioned before we hit the outro? Uh, for me, it'd be Ryan Reynolds. Uh, we started off very mm. a kind of a sentient smirk, very glib, very <laughs> Van Wilder, and has delivered some really great, very out-there performances, most recently in The Voices, mm-hmm. which is you could never have imagined from uh, the start of his career that he would go that weird uh, and that dark. Uh, I also have come to really enjoy Ryan Philippe, uh, s- revealed a surprising comic chops in movies like uh, MacGruber, where he's kind of this, <laughs> yeah, where he's kind of the straight man and does it kind of brilliantly. Uh, Tom Cruise is somebody who n- didn't imagine a lot from the very beginning, but has consistently chosen really weird, really interesting projects with really great directors, and has carved out a really amazing career for a guy who wasn't the most naturally talented human being in the world. Uh, I think a lot of these people are just people who uh, became famous because they were very good looking, and then people were surprised that they had talent. And that they could be funny. Uh, people such as Rob Lowe, uh, who really reinvented himself as a comic actor uh, and has done so really brilliantly, uh, most notably on Parks and Recreations, but also the Behind um, the Candelabra uh, movie that Steven Soderbergh directed. He was freakish and uh, hilarious and incredibly disturbing. Uh, so those are my, uh, my folks. Scott? Um, I just wanted to mention Ethan Hawke, because uh, that, mm, that was the example that kind of leapt to my head. I mean, he was, you know, played one of the most punchable characters ever mm-hmm. in Reality Bites and and uh, was supposed to be kind of the cool guy that Winona Ryder chooses over Ben Stiller. Um, but uh, but I think, I, I don't know if I was alone in thinking that Stiller was probably the better choice of the two <laughs> uh, people, but he's but I think he's an, an example notion. of somebody who's aged into a more, what's this? Radical notion. She didn't necessarily have to choose either of oh, those. Oh, right, of course not. But boring we're, we're, shows. Yeah, okay. Yes, I, I would say neither of the above is probably is definitely the best choice. But uh, moving ahead, I mean, I think he's just somebody... Um, that example of someone who is aged into a more substantial actor, who's just you know that that happens that happens a lot too. You get, you get older, you get you get wiser. And I think you can see it all happen with in the Before Sunrise trilogy. I think he's a much different actor in the in the latter two. Uh, films than, than than the first one and uh, and I think a, a much deeper one. Um, Although having just seen uh, the first one, he's really good. No, he he he, he is, and he's very well. much. But he's still you know sort of the pretentious young guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that's the, role. that's the role, and he kind of is the person. Yeah. Well, there is something to say for people who, if if you can stay in the industry, if you can maintain the clout, if you can go through what we all go through, getting a little smarter and more sophisticated as we get older, hopefully. Hopefully there are the roles for you. Genevieve, you have any wrap-ups? Yeah, I just uh, have uh, one, one and a half. Um, an, inter- an interesting example of this, I think, is Angelina Jolie, because mm, it has to do almost yeah. entirely with her public persona more than her work. Uh, uh, like, She's always had a pretty scattered filmography, I think, and I, I think her, her choices are you know kind of all over the place. She's, she's a good actress, but you know I don't think she's necessarily 
you know, uh, the best actress, but, you know, the way that her public persona kind of changed from this wild child to a homewrecker, and now she's this, like, you know, maternal force for good in in the world, uh, I think has kind of given her an aura of respected actress. So I I, I found that that to be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like Angelina Jolie, I, you, you know, but uh, <laughs> and then we don't want to get into this because it's just a, a huge can of worms. But, you know, maybe we'll talk about it uh, at a later time is someone going very much in the opposite direction and just kind of losing all of his credibility uh, is Nicolas Cage. But that's probably a, an entire segment in itself. Yeah, the the people whose st- careers have taken them in directions we respect less than their starting places, that's, that's another whole 30 minutes. So until we get to that point, we're all going to swap up our careers. I look forward to my new career as a hand model. The rest of you can uh, get into ultralight design. I'm going to find out what ultralights are and start designing I'm them. I'm excited about going back to the sewers. That's where I belong. I am not going to fly a single one of your ultralights until I'm pretty sure that you know what they are. Are. Thanks for Fly. thanks for talking, guys. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so now it's time for something we've always done before: our regular game segment, featuring something we've never done before, which is playing an actual commercially available game. Here's a little backstory. A full two years ago, I finally met John Kavalak, the cartoonist behind Dork Tower and the superstar illustrator of literally dozens of board and card games, including Apples to Apples, Munchkin, Kobold's Ate My Baby, Shea Geek, Ninja vs. Ninja, and a lot more. He was demoing his game Raffle, but he took time out to show me another party game he and some friends had developed around movie titles. I loved the game, and we told him we should play it on the podcast we had just started recording. Fast forward two years, and that game is finally hitting indie game stores. It's called Double Feature, and here to play it with me are... Genevieve Kosky. Keith Phipps. Rachel Handler. All right, so here's how this works, guys. We have six decks of cards, theme and genre, setting, props, scenes, production, and characters. We're going to flip two of them up, and you'll each try to be the first to name a title that fits both cards. For instance, here's a scene card and a setting card. So you are looking for a movie about the West where there's smoking, fire, or burning. Unforgiven. Unforgiven it is. Here is your card. You are taking the West card as your point. Nice. There's something smoking, burning, or firing uh, is going to stay on the table, and you pick the next theme. Characters. Characters. Now we're looking for a movie where there's something smoking, burning, or firing, featuring jocks, nerds, or punks. Um, the Warriors. Oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Repo <laughs> No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with The Warriors, because, uh, all right, actually, you may have to justify that. What's... Uh, What's smoking burning? Oh, there are guns firing, obviously. Yeah. I'm justifying yeah. it for you. There are definitely <laughs> guns firing in the Warriors. I think if you're calling me anything, I'm not sure they're technically punks, but, you know, they're punk-like. They're certainly punk. No, they're a bunch of punks. They're, they may not be uh, punk rockers, right. but they're a bunch of punks. I'd call them riffraff myself. But. <laughs> <laughs> I am the moderator. I'm going to give it to them. Keith, pick, an, pick another category. Uh, well, let's do props. Let's do props. All right, so movie with jocks, nerds, or punks. Featuring rock, paper, or scissors. The Outsiders. The Outsiders. What? Uh, make, make your justification they, for that. They probably throw rocks at each other. <laughs> there's a knife fight. Yeah, there's violence. But are those, are those jocks, nerds, or punks there's, in The Outsiders? They're, they're kind of punks. They're kind of punks. It's they're the 50s. Call them punks. They're, it's they're the 50s. outsiders. I don't know. I, they're literally outsiders. If you, can't, uh, if you can't actively justify it, I'm taking the next okay. one. Uh, Grease. Scissors, Ooh. beauty school dropout. Beauty school dropout it is. All right, you take the Jocks Nerds a Punk card, and let's hear their next category. Um, let's do setting. Setting. All right, so we're looking for rock, paper, or scissors in the South. Uh, That's a rough one. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, to be fair, there's rocks oh, all over the oh, south, guys. Oh, steel magnolias. Steel. Oh, steel magnolias. <laughs> I'm, I'm really Perfect. sticking with the hair scissors uh, here. It's working for me. All right, let's hear another category. Oh, me again. Uh, production. Production. We haven't had one of these yet. All right, the south. Title is at least four oh. words long. Gone with the wind. <laughs> Do you want to leave any room for anybody else in this Whoa. one? I, I took some I'm serious cold medicine today. Right I didn't know if it would make me really good at this game or really bad at this game. And I'm going to cheat slightly by by turning these cards more towards Rachel so she uh, she can see them. <laughs> I get one point. Genevieve has the uh, has the handicap. All right, Genevieve, what's your next category? Uh, scenes. Scenes. All right. Title is at least four words long, and there is a chase sequence. Star Wars. A New Hope. We'll just do that, even though I hate the, the That's longer a subtitle. Title. That's not a title. It doesn't uh, count. Empire Strikes Back. All right. There you go. Title is at least four words long. Empire Strikes Back. Give me that the card em- back. The Empire Strikes Back. The Empire Strikes Back. Come on. No, no. You you, you got it. I just, I, I liked the look on Genevieve's face is all. All right. So uh, since we're pausing anywhere, where are we at? Three and three and oh um, <laughs> not so many as all that. All right. There's a chase sequence and... Keith? Oh, uh, let's do theme and genre. Theme and genre. There's a chase sequence in a Western or war movie. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Is there a chase sequence in sure. Saving Private Ryan? Uh, I think so. They, they're chasing each other down the beach. I want it. It's not so <laughs> I'm not sure that's so. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. give it to you. Damn it. All I just right. don't remember the specific chase sequence, but I'm sure I, I can this is, it. This is a party game. There is supposed to be drinking going on. There's also supposed to be arguing going on, so oh, we have no okay. problem with arguing. But... Okay. But you I do have to actually have justify to know the actual it. Okay, okay. All right. So uh, there's, there's your chase sequence. Uh, Genevieve, let's... Wait, wait, what did Genevieve say? Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oh, okay. uh, Which for some reason she's just watched. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. It's just on my mind. Genevieve, new category. Um, 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 wait, what do we have? Western, Western or war, war movie. movie. God, the two movies, like two genres I don't like. Uh, props. Western or war movie with... <laughs> wow, that might be hard. Obvious product placement. Ooh. Oh. Does, oh. does, like, a Hummer count as product placement? <laughs> or, like, a tank? <laughs> like <this> Western. <laughs> I think they can't, oh, oh, I know. Um, in Back to the Future 3, which is a Western. You're getting uh, the suspicious Which is a Western. They, it, a lot of it hinges on uh, a telegram from Western Union being delivered at the Ooh. end of Part 2 and beginning of Part 3. I'm... I don't remember that movie well, and I remember that it's 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 a quasi western. I think western. our re, our it's listeners a- our listeners right now are saying yes, he is correct. <laughs> are they are they really though? I, I'm I'm impressed he was able to come up with something that even I think slightly. I have one maybe do we count Blade Runner as a war movie? No, <laughs> we, we don't. And, and I believe I'm going to reach over and take. <laughs> I think I'm going to nudge this card, no, card in your direction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Keith, what's our next category? Um, I hope I got the I hope I got the telegram company right. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have scenes. Let me let me just be clear that uh, I mean part of this game is is just sort of the arguing down, and if nobody at the table can gainsay you, you might get away with mm. it. Somebody may write yeah. in and say no, it wasn't Western Union, but who the hell else sends telegrams? All right, obvious product placement, and something is destroyed. I could also have just said DeLorean. Um, <laughs> Blade Runner. <laughs> Did uh, Rachel definitely oh, had that one first? I, I didn't hear right. her. What yeah, did she say? But wait, wait. What's uh, what's it's the Coca-Cola. obvious? It's like all over the movie. 
Oh, there's tons of like there's 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 Atari. There's there's I still did not hear what the movie was. Blade Runner. Oh, she said it for too. Yeah, she said it. She she just said it a hair ahead of you. Stole my joke. Rachel, you are on the board. Something is destroyed, and what's the what's the next category? Um, characters. Characters. I'm reading these things upside down. Huh. Something is destroyed, and something is supernatural. Uh, Sixth Sense. Oh wait, no. Shoot. The Shining. Oh, that's a good one. There's a lot destroyed now, in what The Shining. Is, what is destroyed in The Shining? Though, uh, really? You know, door, his you know. relationship with okay, his father. Okay, a door, a door, I'll take the door. The, the elevator is fully functional. And no, I But mean, it's stained forever. Yeah, yeah. it's totally does, ruined. Does, how, does, wait, does, does, how about a human life? Does, yeah. ghost, does ghost blood stain, though? I don't know. <laughs> ghost blood really should stain. Ooh, write that down. Does ghost blood stain? Does ghost blood stain? <laughs> All right, Rachel, something is supernatural, and what's our next category? Scenes. Scenes. Something is supernatural, and there's a big meal, a big deal, or a big bang. Macbeth. A big a, deal, I guess. A big meal. It's a big meal. It's, oh, it's, that's it's, true. Yeah. The the bank was ghost sequence. Yeah. I was thinking sort of the the bargain made with never mind with yeah. with fate. All right, fine. So uh, we've got Keith at five, Genevieve at four, Rachel at two, but Rachel is back in the game. Uh, Keith, what is our next category? Um, let's do. What haven't we done yet? Let's do production. Production. Big meal, big deal, or a big bang? And title has a number in it and is not a sequel. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> All right. Nobody is immediately coming up with it. We haven't done this yet. So let's just say, let's just so we can see how this rule works. There are two cards on the table and nobody's immediately coming up with something. So as the moderator, I'm going to pick a third card, which is going to be characters. Character is filthy. Or Filthy Rich. You can pick any two of these cards to come up with your movie. Big Meal, Big Deal, Big Bang, Filthy or Filthy Rich, and title has a number in it. I'm going to say Dirty Trading dozen. Place. Oh. What did you say? Dirty Dozen. Oh. Okay, which are you, are you going with? Uh, title has a number in it and, and Filthy. Filthy, yeah. filthy or Filthy Rich. Yeah, it doesn't have a number. Doesn't, I'll, I'll allow it. I had tra- I had trading places because it was filthy rich and big deal. But uh, uh, all right, you, so you, title has me. a number in it is the oldest card on the board that you actually used, so you get that one. And we're left with big deal, big meal, or big bang. And trading places. Rich. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? All right, you I'll get that card. Say, all right, all right, filthy or filthy rich to Keith. Let's do theme and genre. Theme and genre, filthy or filthy rich, and it's a tragedy. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Which version and oh, oh wow they I guess in uh, the Baz Luhrmann version they all must be filthy rich right yeah yeah they are big powerful yeah, uh, sorry sorry Romeo plus Juliet um, okay <laughs> fine. I'm, I'm gonna give that one to you all right filthy filthy rich for you now we've got uh, it's Keith, really reaching for tragedies yeah. there you Keith know? and Genevieve tied at six Rachel at two sorry Rachel it's all right okay. Genevieve oh um setting setting God I hope it's not Verona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a rule. You can use the same uh, the same title multiple times in a game, just not back to back. So if it's a Verona, you're screwed. All right, it's a tragedy that spans more than ten years. Ooh. Man, I've got one for this. There will be blood. <laughs> Here's your tragedy card, sir. All right, what's our next category? Uh, let's do characters. Characters spans more than ten years. <laughs> and is dopey, sneezy, sleashy, sleepy, or bashful. It doesn't have to be those specific dwarves, just somebody who is one of those things. Uh, dopey, sneezy, sleepy, or bashful. It's so quiet I in am here, gonna I say, can hear the rain. I'm going to argue for the film Dumb and Dumber 2, because it has a flashback <laughs> sequence. 
<laughs> okay. How? Oh, wait. Oh, they are. Okay. They they're are dopey. They're dopey. Yeah. And it's got a flashback sequence. I cannot, have not uh, seen that movie. I can't argue against it. Sorry. Can I? Sorry, guys. I All right. So we've got eight, six, and two. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's do a couple more rounds and then uh, proclaim Keith the winner as always. <laughs> Keith, what's your category? Head now. I'm just being yeah. defeated. Um, scene. Scenes. Dopey Sleeshful. 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 Sleeple Sloppel. Is Dopey Sneezy Sleepy or Bashful? And there's a dream or fantasy sequence. I'm going to go with the movie Dumb and Dumber 1. (laughs) (laughs) Can't do it back to back. No, no, Dumb and Dumber, the first You can't do two movies from the same series. Oh, uh, Romeo and Michelle. Oh, Oh. yeah, there you go. All yours. Uh, Rachel, you're at three. What is the next category? Um... Characters. Characters. Okay, there's a dream or fantasy sequence, and somebody is in uniform. There's like a lot of like half-formed scenes in my head. <laughs> Atonement. Is there a fantasy wow, sequence? are you are you just arguing that? I, I, I don't I don't despite the or the last game that I ran, I don't really want to give it away. But I would argue I'm just going to hand you this card, and then we're not going to give the details because you and I both know where that's coming from, and we don't want to give anything away. All right, in uniform and? Oh, uh, theme and genre. Theme and genre. Uh, in you, somebody is in uniform in a thriller or mystery? The General's Daughter. <laughs> Show off. For sure. All right, we have Keith at nine. Some, well, let's, uh, let's see if he can just take it, to take it to ten, and then we'll call it a day. Thriller or mystery? And? Sure. Uh, let's do scene. And scene. There's a dance sequence. No thriller does not count. I was going to say the Michael Jackson video thriller. (laughs) That Uh, was a video, not a film. Mystery with a dance sequence. She's all that explosive mystery of love. (laughs) (laughs) I would take half your cards away if that would not just prolong this uh, this sequence. Thriller or mystery with a dance sequence? Um, I know the movie, but I can't remember. It's the one I wrote about for the vampire. (laughs) The one with... um, Vamp. No, not vamp. Damn it. The, the, the Mel Brooks one. What's it called? Dracula Dead and Loving It? Yes. Is that a thriller or a mystery, though? It's a mystery. Mm, Does it also explore the mystery of love? Yeah. No, it explores the mystery of vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not buying it. All right. Damn we're we're going to throw out a third card. We've got thriller, mystery, dance sequence, and title contains someone's name. Any of these two. Wait. Was sure. Romeo Michelle? Logan's Run. School reunion. <laughs> The Big Lebowski. Wait, wait, no. First Logan's two. Run contains someone's name it's and... It's a thrill. And a mystery. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's, it's a dystopian. I'm not sure it's a mystery, okay. but it's sure as hell a thriller. All right, okay. so we've got thriller or mystery with a dance sequence that we're back to. We couldn't <laughs> do it last time, so we're throwing in a prop card. Lions, tigers, or bears? The Edge. That's what uh, David Mamet uh, scripted movie with uh, Alec Baldwin and... Uh, and uh, um, oh crap! Alec Baldwin and, and Anthony Hopkins and a big bear. Okay, so is there a dance sequence or is it a thriller or mystery? It's a thriller or mystery with a bear. Okay, you're, the, you're a bear expert, Genevieve. What did you call? I, I was call? trying to think of a way that Disney's bears uh, could be uh, claimed as a thriller or mystery. So. It, it is. It is not about the, the I dance. Was, of I love. found it very thrilling. 
Especially when the bear got its claws stuck. Once again, our, our listeners are saying, no, he had it. He, he, he you, know what? you know what? I bet they are because he's Keith and he always wins the game. So, <laughs> with- God. If you actually look at my record, it's not that strong. <laughs> yes, but we like to boost your ego because it makes uh, it makes everybody happier, much like this game. All right, guys. Thanks for trying out this game. Um, it's called Double Feature. It is just making its way into indie game stores right now. Sadly, it is not available online yet, which is uh, a little bit strange. But this is an indie game company. It's called Renegade Game Studios, and you can find it online. Thanks to them for providing the game, and thanks to John Kavalik for co-designing it and bringing it to my attention. Uh, I'm going to take this to my next party. And I was going to say, can I steal it? <laughs> you cannot steal it, but perhaps you can borrow it if you ask me nicely, and if you come up with a thriller or a mystery with a dance sequence in it, because I want to see that movie. All right, thanks a lot for playing, guys. This week, because we aren't giving into technophobia, we turned to advanced technology to set up our competitors for 30 seconds to sell via random number generator. That's how we're putting a newfangled spin on our old fangled competition where two staffers square off in recommending something film related to me in 30 seconds or less. Your computer has chosen Scott Tobias <laughs> and Rachel Handler, which may or may not have ruined their lives. Let's find out. Scott, the online coin flip says you go first. You have 30 seconds. Go. It's been a while since I've tried to sell an idea, so I'm going to float this one. We should stop calling movies film. Uh, <laughs> since most movies are now printed, are now go through their entire production and distribution life without ever being printed on celluloid, the word film itself has become outmoded. I think the term should be reserved only for movies that were shot and or exhibited on celluloid. So Interstellar is a film, Inherit Vice is a film, Django Unchained is a film, Furious 7 is a movie. Celluloid was a canvas on which film was created for over a century, and uh, it was a tangible physical thing. Doesn't exist anymore. It's a movie. <laughs> How about that? Oh my God, Scott. Get off my lawn. That is the most hilarious thing ever. Rachel, you're going to have to work super hard to make wow. me laugh more than that did. All right. Oh, Isa. How do you feel about that cloud? Are you cranky about that cloud? <laughs> I I'm worried that you're prejudging this, Tasha. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm worried. I haven't convinced you. I, I, Rachel, Rachel, this one's yours to lose. Let's, okay. Let's hear what you have to All say. Right. Thirty um, seconds. Go. Last night I watched the film Heartburn. Uh, <laughs> Nora Ephron and Mike Nichols' 1986 movie starring Meryl Streep and Jack Nicholson. Um, it has a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I think is undeserved. I want to recount. I think it's got to do with the ending, which is sort of abrupt, and Nicholson's character just sort of ends up being a cad for no reason. And I think also it was written by a woman, ostensibly about a real relationship, but I won't get into that in 30 seconds. Details aside, I was totally charmed by it. Um, Jack Nicholson singing songs about babies is like the most adorable thing I've ever seen in my whole life. And Meryl is so subtle and heartbreaking and... Um, um, Raf runs amazing, and I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, you, you, let's see. You ran over time there, and uh, I, I'm not even sure I caught the, the movie's title at the beginning because I was trying to muffle my laughter. Um, but you got in a dig at Scott, and that's that's uh, points in oh my book. Boy. So uh, I, I, I'm, I'm feel like I shouldn't give it to somebody who went over time but here all right here's my problem scott i'm an editor i i spend a lot of time every day going over th- thousands and thousands of words that you guys generate mm-hmm. if we if we're only allowed to use the word movie and picture and and let's picture, use picture too how about two, okay. two those two you don't have, give me word. give me five more words and i will use film yeah, however I think, you I think want f- well, how many for, do you have for music Oh, oh, just the one. I'm giving you two: <laughs> movie and picture, and film for things that were shot, or and or exhibited on film. 
I, I I feel I feel like the the rug has been tugged out from under me because now I'm just thinking about all <laughs> of the synonyms there are for music. Yeah. There are a lot of different words for music. Yeah, Scott Tobias, I, you can have film when you give me enough replacements that the using the word movie over and over and over doesn't seem repetitive. I actually sympathize a lot with what you're saying. I, I understand it. I really wish that there was a word that meant a movie that was shot digitally that distinguishes it from movie. When you come up with that and it's it's a good solution and it's something that we can all use, I will I will retroactively grant you this one. But for the moment, Rachel, you win. Woo! Congratulations to everybody. Let's go watch whatever that film was. <laughs> Heartburn. <laughs> yeah, it's a pod. It's a, I call it a pod, Natasha. I'll call it that's that's my made up term then for what a are you digital call podcasts. I don't know. <laughs> Keep workshopping this one, Scott Tobias. Until then, we're out of here. Well, we've reached the end of another Dissolve podcast. Thanks for listening and not being afraid of your computer, phone, MP3 player, or whatever device you're listening to this on. We promise we aren't trying to use it to kill you. You know what else wouldn't kill you? Giving us a review on iTunes, where the feedback helps boost us to a wider audience. You can find The Dissolve on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook, and at thedissolve.com. And you can send questions, comments, topic suggestions, or game ideas to us at feedback at thedissolve.com. Thanks to Renegade Game Studios for providing the copy of their new game, Double Feature. And if you can come up with a theatrical release thriller or mystery with a dance sequence, call our Google number, 773-234-9730, and leave a short message telling us what we missed, and you may hear it played on a future podcast. That's 773-234-9730. The Dissolve Podcast is produced by Genevieve Kosky with assistance from Colin Griffith. Now go watch some movies, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm excited about going back to the sewers. That's where I belong.